0: Please be seated, everyone, and can I add my welcome to Emma's. My name's Andrew, and the other people leading the service with me are Emma, uh, Philippa, and Jim, and a warm welcome to you also who are joining us online today. It's great to have your fellowship with us as well. Before I preach just a small amount of church news, or I should say not even news, but uh, just a thank you and a little celebration uh, for last week's service, wasn't it great to have everyone together? Uh, in our combined gathering, uh, we had just about one hundred people here in the church and uh, it was great to have lunch together afterwards, thanks to people who brought food and helped with the lunch uh, it was It was really good, and uh, uh, obviously, if we did that every week it wouldn 't be as exciting. but we do uh, have another combined service coming up at the end of October, so that we do it twice a year so uh, yeah, I thought that was really great, and I hope it really gives a boost to uh, to us all in our service of God. Now, uh, there, are, there is a flyer that I'd like to just point you to that you can pick up in the porch. Uh, this is a flyer about the intergenerational research that's happening at our Early Learning Centre. have uh, There's been a notice in the bulletin about this for weeks and weeks, uh, but uh, what this is, is if you're familiar with that TV show, Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds, Uh, which happened down at St. Nick's at Coogee, well, that same research is coming to uh, our centre at St. Jude's. So for the second half of this year, there's going to be a 20-week research program, which has all got to do with the interaction of uh, the young people in our early learning centre with people over 65. And if you are over 65 and you tick a few boxes with the researchers know about, then you could participate in that research Uh, There is uh, an information session about this uh, on Tuesday, not this coming Tuesday, but the following, the 11th of July. If you're at all interested, because we do need more people for the program, uh, and if you're over 65, why don't you pick one of these up and come along to the information session? Uh, That would be great. A couple of other very quick things. Uh, Our All Day Kids Club. Uh, which is for K-6, to is on uh, the 17th of July. So that date's there in the bulletin for you. Uh, Lots of other good information is there in the bulletin for you. And uh, Southern Cross, the Sydney Anglican Monthly Magazine, there's a new edition of that. So why not pick that up from the porch on your way out and there'll be something encouraging in there for you to read. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for speaking to us, and we ask, please, that by your spirit you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you wouldn't always know it from the way that uh, the, the the news on the TV and the radio and the internet is presented, but the world is actually getting better. Uh, it's easy to show that compared with 100 years ago, Uh, we're living longer. uh, We've beaten many diseases. Uh, we're less likely to die in a violent way or in an accident. Uh, There's a whole lot of ways in which life is getting better. Uh, in spite of the world wars in the 20th century, uh, human life right here in 2023 is a lot better than it would have been, say, 500 years ago. Uh, yet, Every human still faces suffering. Uh, And uh, even if the number of people who face a calamitous suffering in life is reduced or the proportion is reduced from what it might have been, uh, we all live under that threat, don't we? And we see it happening around us. We hear about it. Uh, The threat of tragedy is something which we live with. Even though the world is getting better, I think it's clear I'd be interested if you'd like to contradict this, but I think it's clear. Human expertise will never reach the point where suffering is eliminated down here under the sun in our human existence. This world, in spite of amazing advances for which we should be grateful to God, this world is destined always to be a veil of tears. Now, on this particular day in Jerusalem, Jesus chose to step right into a place where human sadness was gathered. He was in Jerusalem for another Jewish feast, we're not told which, and he went to a place called Bethesda. This was a pool surrounded by five colonnades. Now, for many years, there was no archaeological site in Jerusalem which was known to match John's description and so the sceptical Bible scholars took it that John mustn't have had his facts right and that there was no such place. Archaeological digging in the 1800s and some further excavation in 1964 has found the place which meets John's description rather perfectly. One of those moments where the Bible has proven itself against the sceptics to be of profound historical significance. But in Jesus' day, this Bethesda seems to have been a rather sad place. If you take a careful look at verse 3, this is John chapter 5, verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. It must have been confronting to see all these humans, each with their own unique and sad story, gathered in one place. Why were they all there? Well, following the hint in verse 7, many have thought that there must have been a popular superstition that this pool had healing power. Uh, From time to time, the water would be stirred by new water coming in from a spring, And the superstition, so it is said, was that if you were the first to get into the pool after the waters were stirred, then you might be healed. Either way, it was a regular custom for the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed to gather at this place. And so knowing that he would be confronted with this human suffering, Jesus chose to go there that day. There was a particular man, it says in verse 5, who had been an invalid for 38 years. A very long time of disappointment. Uh, if there had been a superstition about these waters, if that's, if that's the, the correct theory, well, it hadn't helped this man, uh, nor any of the others gathered there. Jesus singled out this man who had been lame for 38 years. Jesus knew that he'd been there a very long time, and perhaps that's precisely why Jesus went to him. And he asked him in verse 6, do you want to get well? Now, we might think, well, isn't that a silly question? Why would he not want to get well? But I think there are good reasons why Jesus should ask it. I mean, I trust because Jesus is Jesus. He's the son of God, that he has a good reason for asking it. But I actually think he's showing respect to the man. The man hasn't asked for healing. So Jesus asks him if that's what he would like. And not only that, but it is a real question. After 38 years, it would be difficult for the man to change his way of life. Do you want to get well is a real question. Well, in answer to Jesus' question, the man explained his horrible situation. It seems that never in 38 years has he been able to get to the waters first. He had no one to help him into the pool. And so others got there before him. It's not to say that he would have been healed if if he'd been there first. That's only what we guess the... The superstition was but what crushing disappointment his life must have been year after year he had no one to help him into the pool it's not possible to be certain about the man's tone of voice when he answered jesus question maybe he was just explaining why yes he would like to be healed Or maybe there was a note of sarcasm in his voice. Maybe it was as if to say, look, well, of course I'd like to be healed, bozo. What can you do about it? Either way, Jesus was obviously moved with compassion by the man's situation. And so he performed a stunning miracle. He said to the man, get up, take your mat and walk. And we read in verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. It's a surprisingly sparse account of the miracle. I mean, did Jesus do this out of profound compassion for this man and his plight? Yes, of course. Though John doesn't mention Jesus' compassion specifically. Was this a demonstration of divine power such as to show that Jesus really is the son of God come among us? Yes, but that's also not mentioned at this point. Were the crowds utterly astonished and had their breath taken away when they saw this man that they recognized from having sit a, sat there for year after year as a, as a cripple, walking around carrying his mat? Well, you would think they must have been astonished. But that's also not mentioned. Did the man go around walking and leaping and praising God, uh, like the cripple who was healed by Peter and John some years later after Jesus had ascended into heaven? Well, I'm actually not sure about that. I'm not sure that he did go walking and leaping and praising God. He doesn't seem to be that sort of person, as as we'll see when we read on. Overall, it's a sadly muted response to this astonishing act of divine compassion. Instead of thanks and praise and celebration, we actually get controversy. This is my third point, if you're following my outline in the booklet. You see, Jesus had performed this miracle on the Sabbath. Uh, it says that, that there in verse nine and and so it drew the wrong sort of attention from the Jewish leaders. I'm sure John intends us to see the funny side of the response to this miracle. The Jewish leaders noticed this man carrying his mat now, according to their Sabbath interpretation, it was not lawful to carry the mat on that day, and so completely ignoring the life-changing event which had taken place for this man, they've gone, hang on a minute, you're carrying your mat. You can't do that. It's the Sabbath. I mean, really? The, the, The wooden legalism, completely ignoring the amazing human story which has unfolded before their eyes, you have to see the funny side of that. We shouldn't forget that the Sabbath was a profoundly important part of Israel's faith. Uh, we read it in our Old Testament reading, which John read to us from Exodus. Uh, that reminded us that the Israelites were God's special nation, they, were the, the only nation that God had chosen to be his special people. The Sabbath was to be a sign between Israel and God. It was to remind them that the Lord was their God. It was a holy day. It reflected the the very structure of creation because God had created the world in six days so that he could rest and enjoy his work on the seventh. For desecrating the Sabbath, you could be put to death. The Jewish leaders were not at all wrong to take the Sabbath seriously and to make sure that this was a day which was holy to God. I mean, it's not as though they should have just chilled out and been more relaxed about the rules. It's not That's not the the right answer to this situation. They were right to want this to be a holy day, but their mistake, in fact, was that they didn't take the Sabbath seriously enough If they had truly reverenced God, then they would have not seen it as a day for this legalistic nitpicking. But instead, uh, they they would have seen that, as Jesus explains later on in John chapter 7, the Sabbath is exactly the sort of day that Jesus should have healed this man. When Jesus asked the man, do you want to be made well?, The word which Jesus uses here literally is, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be whole? And in verse 9, it says, immediately the man was made whole. That's what Jesus did for this man. He made him whole. And the Sabbath, the day of rest, the day of peace, God's special holy day is precisely the day when a human who has suffered for so long but is a precious human made in the image of God, it's precisely the day that a human should be made whole. Now, the leaders couldn't see that because they didn't really understand the Sabbath because they didn't really know God. And, and hence the this, this celebration, what should have been a celebration, turned into a controversy. Well, meanwhile, the man himself, and you can perhaps see the funny side of this also, he was just trying to have an easy life. So when they pulled him up for carrying his mat, he pointed the finger and he said, well, hang on, it was the man who healed me that said I could do this. I'm, I'm only doing what I'm told. He was quite happy to throw Jesus under the bus and let the trouble fall onto Jesus. The only reason that didn't happen immediately was because Jesus had vanished into the crowd. See it's all somehow so deflating isn't it there's no triumphant result from this miracle it's only opposition brewing and and the man himself who'd been healed seemingly has not been changed spiritually very much but Jesus hadn't finished with the man just yet verse 15 Jesus went and found the man see You are well again. You are whole. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, we might think it sounds a little terse. We might think it sounds unfriendly. I'm sure we don't have the whole conversation recorded for us here. It would have been more than this one sentence. And don't you think that it would have been said with the same compassion as prompted the healing in the first place? This is the Savior speaking. He's not going to deal in threats. Now, you and I don't like the sound of stop sinning because, well, frankly, there are probably some sins in our life which we don't want to stop. But to stop sin... Uh, and, and this uh, by this I mean not just to take its punishment as Jesus did when he died on the cross for us, but eventually to eradicate sin from among his people. That is why Jesus came. He came to bless us by turning us from our sins so that in our future existence, Uh, with sin no longer marring the relationship between us and our Heavenly Father, nor our relationships amongst one another, that we would live a life which is truly blessed. It was his purpose to bless us by turning us from our sin. Now, uh, there were a multitude of people there that day at the pool. We're told Jesus only healed one of them. He could have healed them all. But it wasn't his purpose in his first coming to earth to eradicate sickness and suffering. That's what he will do at his second coming to earth. At his first coming to earth, it was his purpose to die for sin and to unleash this tide of blessing, which is to turn us from our sin. The something worse that Jesus spoke of to the man is obviously the never-ending punishment for sin, which will be suffered by everyone who is not in Christ. Jesus' words to the man were not a threat. They came from the same compassionate heart that healed him. Stop sinning. That's why I've come, Jesus says. I've come to bless you by turning you from your sins. Now, I don't think I need to elaborate today on what sins are. The the root cause of them all is ignoring our creator, God. The the sinful actions are merely the symptoms of a disease, and it is the worst disease. Sin is the very, very worst disease, far, far worse than being lame for 38 years. It's not something that I say flippantly. I haven't been lame for 38 years. I can't imagine what a a burden it would be. But this is not something I say flippantly. Sin is a worse disease. So do you see that these words that Jesus uh, said to the lame man, they're actually the words that he says to all of us, do you want to be whole? Jesus comes down to us here under the sun Here in 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 our existence, where we're under the sway of sin and death, we're under the constant threat of calamity. We're constantly letting ourselves and each other down by the way that we live. And he comes to us down here, and he says, "Do you want to be whole? What has been your answer to Jesus as he's put that question to you? Do you want to be whole?" I have the power, Jesus says, to make you whole. But only if you choose to submit your whole self to my healing program. In the movie, The King's Speech, uh, King George VI, who had a stutter, sought the help of a speech therapist uh, named Lionel Logue. The king understandably wanted secrecy as he attended the sessions with the speech therapist. He wanted the therapist to come to him at the palace. And being the king, he expected he'd be able to get what he wanted. But Lionel Logue refused to come to the palace. He insisted to the king, I can only help you if you come to my rooms. He was willing to help, but only on his terms. Now, it's important for us to understand that Jesus is the same. He will help us, but on his terms. Now, of course, Jesus has come out to meet us. I mean, he came down to earth from heaven. He went and found that man twice. And you and I can attest to the way that Jesus went out to find us if we're a christian person we're amazed at how remarkably you know jesus has ordered our lives so that a a christian person came across us or or even we we were blessed to have christian parents whatever it might have been but god himself has been at work to bring us to this point we know how jesus has pursued us like he did this man But when it comes to the pointy end of the question, do you want to be whole? He will only make us whole on his terms, which are that he says, stop sinning. That doesn't mean be perfect from now on. Of of course it doesn't. Jesus knows that we will never eradicate sin from our lives fully until heaven. But it does mean to turn from sin and to strive with his help for a holy life. It's the turn which is perfectly expressed in the words of our confession prayer each week. The good news is that when we have turned in that way, we are made whole. If anyone is in Christ, it says they are a new creation. Now, the new creation is here, if I'm a Christian believer. If you are a Christian today, then God has made you whole and you are being made whole, and you will be made whole. The wholeness that Jesus gives is a present reality to every person who is a Christian. In spite of the troubles that we might still have in our body and the struggles that we still have with sin, it is a wholeness which is a present reality and which will be fully consummated in the new creation. Because, praise God, Jesus has come among us with the power to make us whole. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your compassion and for your power, that you are able to make us whole, that you're willing to make us whole, that for all who are in Christ, you have made us whole and are doing this in an ongoing way in our lives. Father, we thank you for this amazing grace to us. Please, Father, help us to take Jesus' warning and to fight sin in our lives as we work together with you and your amazing work in us, having made us whole. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.